0: My name is Corey Mitchell, and I'm one of the elders here at LEFC, and currently serve as the chairman of the Board of Elders. Okay, so we're continuing our series uh, on the marks of a disciple, hitting the mark, the marks of a disciple. Today's our fourth uh, sermon in the series. So last week, Pastor Matt Matsawada commented that I would be batting cleanup uh, today. And so went home and asked Sue, like, can you see if we have a picture of me when I played baseball when I was little? And uh, so we couldn't find one. But what I do have is a picture of when I played basketball. And so I thought, oh, maybe I'll use this. It's from sixth grade. So that's 1980, 1981. I'm looking at this picture and it's like, those shorts are so short. (laughs) And those tube socks are so long. This is just too embarrassing. I can't bring it in. So maybe someday you'll see it. But. but if you had seen it, you would have seen that this guy is like a stick figure. His little arms are so thin. I was so small and so tiny. Point is, I never batted cleanup in my life. I was either at the top of the lineup or I was at the bottom of the lineup, never in the middle, and certainly never cleanup. So this would be a new experience uh, for me and for us today, batting cleanup. Now, a couple weeks ago in this series, uh, Pastor Tony, when he was covering Love God, right? First mark of the disciple that, that we're presenting. And he defined a disciple, and he, he gave two, two definitions. He said, one, a disciple is a follower, okay? So a follower of Jesus. And second, and the one I really like this word, he used the word replica. A disciple is a replica. We are to be like the master, right? We're to do what the master says, do what the master does, Say what the master says. We want to be like our master, right? That's being a disciple. That's how I, that's helpful for me to think about what that looks like. And so today, the topic about being like our master is to live truth. Jesus lived truth, and we're called also then as his disciples to live truth. So let's start in Matthew chapter 28. Go ahead and open it up to that. And if you need a Bible, the ushers are going to come down the aisles with a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to take it and make it your own and spend time and study. Matt Sawada last week suggested starting in the Gospel of John. I support that. starting in John and expand out from there. So uh, the very first sermon was given by Pastor Joel and uh, when he gave that great example of commissioning a ship, right? And... So he went to this passage, uh, and so I want to go back to this passage, the very end of Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. I'm going to pick it up in verse 18 and read that. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son. And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, when I look at these four marks of a disciple, I really see two parts of the Bible in there. First of all, I see the great commandment, right? Love God, love people. And then, secondly, this passage, the great commission. And Joel pointed out when he spoke that verse 20, Speaks to the idea of living truth, right? Verse twenty: When we make these disciples, we are to teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. We are to live truth, and we are to train disciples on how to live truth as well. Now, when I first, actually, from the first time I heard these eight words and that live truth, and when I first was preparing uh, for the sermon, my mind went to this same place and. That place is where Jesus, after he's arrested, and he's brought before Pilate, and each of the gospel accounts gives an account of this exchange he has with Pilate. In the John account, a portion of that account says this. Jesus says to Pilate, The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. Well the reason that came to my mind is not so much the first part of it, what Jesus says, even though that's very valuable, right? He came to bear witness to testify the truth, and everyone on the side of the truth listens to him. But it was actually the second part. It was Pilate's response that comes to my mind. What is truth? Now perhaps he was being disingenuous, kind of a snide response or a suggestion that there is can there be any such thing as truth. But I think it's important when we consider live truth. That we first answer the question, what is truth? What is the source of truth? So, just before Jesus was arrested, he was having the Passover meal with his apostles, right? The Last Supper. And uh, in the, over the course of that, that meal and at the end of the meal, he has uh, this time of prayer that he's going to pray over the apostles called the High Priestly Prayer. And in that prayer, He says this to the Father. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So this is the answer to the question. What is truth? Jesus gives the answer, right? Our master. The word is truth. The word of God, the Bible, is truth. It is the source of truth. And so that's our understanding. For Jesus' disciples, like Him, we're going to... Take the Word of God as being the source of truth. Let's talk about the Bible for a couple minutes here. So the word Bible means book or books. And so the Holy Bible, the Bible is God's library of books given to humanity, right? Given to us, for us, for our benefit, His revelation of Himself to us. And now in God's library... There are not thousands of volumes like there would be in the great libraries of the world. There are 66 precious volumes, 66 precious books in his library. And those books include the teachings or Torah or the law, includes the prophets, the writings, the gospels, the epistles, and finally at the end, the revelation. So, 66 books, and those 66 books are written by approximately 40 authors, okay? So, 40 authors write those 66 books, and those authors, those human authors are from all walks of life, including um, kings, prophets, shepherds, there's a tax collector, a doctor, fisherman, and a cupbearer, so 40 authors. It was written in three languages, okay? So those 66 books by those 40 authors written down in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, written on three continents. So the events in the Bible take place in the middle of the earth, Mediterranean, Middle Earth for you Tolkien fans. (laughs) So it's where these three continents come together, right? So Europe, Asia, Africa written on three continents, written over a span of 1,500 years, from Moses through to John, 1,500 years. Um, Now, 66 books, 40 authors, three languages, three continents, 1,500 years. What holds all of this together? What holds it all together is one God. All of these people had an encounter with the living God And they wrote it down. They wrote that account down, and that's how we come to have the Bible, the 66 books uh, that make up God's special library given to us. So what are we to do with, well, you know, Jesus said, right, your word is truth. This is God's word. It's God's word, but it has these 40 human authors, and what are we to make of that? Well, probably the most the best well the best known passage in the scripture about the source of the Bible and how we put those together is found in Paul's letter to Timothy, second letter to Timothy. So 2nd Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says this. All scripture is God-breed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So over the years, you know, people would say the, the, the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Absolutely accurate statement. But really, more than saying it's inspired, this text says it's, it's expired, right? God, He breathes it out, okay? So He is the source. That's probably the best-known passage, but my personal favorite book of the Bible when it comes to actually talking about the Scriptures themselves is 2 Peter. So I'm going to ask you, and we're going to spend our time this morning as a congregation in 2 Peter. I'm going to jump into all kinds of passages quickly, but go ahead and turn to 2 Peter. So from the back of the Bible, very close to the back of the Bible, the end of the Bible, so from the back, Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to go. So Peter, in this letter and in this portion of his letter, really expands on what Paul wrote to Timothy in those two verses. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 12, and I'm going to go through the end of the chapter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised stories When we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty, He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is my favorite text in the Bible about the Bible itself. And I think it just gives us some great insight and understanding. Takes what, again, Paul wrote to Timothy and explains it all the more, right? Yes, these are human authors. Looking at the last part first, the prophets of old. Yes, these are human authors, but they didn't write down their own interpretation. They didn't write down their own will. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit, God's voice through the Spirit into their pens, into their mouths. Uh, that's how this came to pass. And I love the phrase, right? It is completely reliable. And then earlier in the passage, talking about his own ministry, right? The apostolic ministry, the role of the apostles, that they were not following, these were not cleverly devised stories, these were not cleverly invented stories. This is in these later writings you know, that were given to the church at some point uh, years after. These are eyewitness accounts, right? I saw these things. We saw these things that Jesus did, what he said, right? And we wrote them down. They're trustworthy. We saw the miracles. We heard the things that he said. We saw the people. We saw the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, Eyewitness accounts. And then he specifically shares this one, um, this one moment where Peter, James, and John are on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this account really brings together these two pieces, the apostolic ministry, the apostles, and the prophets of old brings it together. We were on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, John. They saw Jesus in his glory. They saw Elijah and Moses attending to him. And they heard this voice from heaven. This is my son, my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right? So this picture, if you will, of the apostles and of the prophets of old affirming this central figure, the most important one of all the scriptures, who the scriptures themselves are about, Jesus. At the center of that encounter and at the center of the scriptures. And Jesus himself agrees with this understanding of the inspiration, of the source of the Scriptures through these human authors. He has There's an exchange that Jesus has when He's in Jerusalem. He's talking to the Pharisees, and He asks them a question. Whose son is the Messiah? And they say, it's the son of David. And Jesus' response, now He goes on to quote a Psalm of David, but it's what He says ahead of it Uh, that is profound in this matter, he said to them, how is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? So Jesus affirms this understanding that Paul instructed to Timothy, that Peter instructs in his letter, uh, down to us. The Scriptures are the source of truth, these 66 books, yes, written by human authors, but from God, by his Spirit, Through those authors. Now, a couple weeks back, uh, April 21st, I think this was our third year hosting it. It could have been the fourth, I don't remember. But we hosted uh, Secret Church. So, David Platt um, does not breathe for five or six hours, right? He's just like, this is my first one that I went to. And, and so we don't have five or six hours this morning, but I would commend that secret church, uh, up here's the, you'll see the website where you can get it. So even if you didn't come, you didn't pay for it, whatever, they're going to make that available on the site. It was great. But what I found particularly exceptional in that long presentation, fast presentation, were the sections on the inerrancy of the scriptures and the sufficiency of the scriptures. Uh, So I would commend that to you also. We don't have time to look at that today, but there's a great resource at our disposal. Now, the, the title of the topic this year was Scripture and Authority in an Age of Skepticism. So borrowing David Platt's phrase, in an age of skepticism, right? Would you agree we live in an age of skepticism? I think we do. So for us, first of all for us, Right, those who would follow Jesus, I think we need to ask ourselves will we receive this library of books, this 66 books, as the word of God, as the authority from God, as the source, the all-sufficient source of truth? Will we submit ourselves to it? Peter goes on in the second chapter, first what we just read, right? This is of the utmost importance. This is so important. He's he's about to pass away, he has concluded. And this is really important to him that we understand this. But the second chapter, all about false teachers, is also important to him. So in every age, there's going to be false teachers. So I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but let's read a little bit of this. I find the chapter, and I find what Peter uh, writes here, to be uh, both perceptive and pertinent still to this very day. Now let's start in that last verse of chapter 1. So last verse of chapter 1, I'll read three verses of chapter 2 and then jump down a little later on. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct... And will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them. And their destruction has not been sleeping. And then jumping down to verse 17. These people are springs without water. And mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh... They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So I find this in an age of skepticism, I think Peter's words still resonate. They still ring true. We must be aware of false teachings uh, that are around us, right, that would come to bear, So some of the phrases that jump out, destructive heresies, right? Teachings that, it's not just that they're false, but they're destructive. They don't create life, they take from it. Uh, And then in the latter part, false teaching that appeal to the lustful desires of the flesh, uh, earlier talks about greed, appeal to the lustful, lustful desires of the flesh, promise freedom, but in reality are slaves of depravity. And what was striking to me when I was looking at this in preparation is who is most impacted by the false teachers? Well, at the end of verse 18, it says, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. That new disciple, right? We're to make disciples. It's that new disciple in particular that may be the most susceptible to false teachers, right? We're to make disciples and we're to instruct them and... We have to be on guard. But we also, right? We have to be on guard. Now, maybe it's a little bit different way. And I'm not so much here talking about false teachings in the church, but that also, right? And I know that's probably much more what Peter's talking about. But I just want to take a moment. I'm going to talk about our influences in the world. We live in an unbelievable time, right, in the age of the world. We have 24-7 news, Internet, almost unlimited information at our fingertips. Uh, we have unlimited entertainment options, and then this proliferation of social media, right? We, um, we are bombarded on a daily basis, and that's not even taking into account traditional media and t- broadcast television and newspapers and books and so forth. We're bombarded on a daily basis with information, right, with, with messages, with those who would vie for our attention, those who would seek to introduce to us right an understanding of truth. And so I think the question that we would ask, uh, we're followers of Jesus, we want to live truth, who has my ear? Right? Who am I listening to? Who has influence in my life? Who has influence over my understanding of the truth? Who should be having influence over my understanding of the truth? I think it's important to note that The steady drumbeat, if you will, every day of having a consistent voice speaking to us that we have given that platform in our lives will impact us. That will have an impact. It will impact our thoughts, and it will sink into our hearts. So personal example, personal example for me. Probably about six months ago, turn of the year, something like that, I came to the conclusion that uh, I was reading too much news, right? Too too much news, taking in too much news. And there was really two issues that I was dealing with. One was just the volume, the amount, right? It was too time-consuming. But secondly, and more importantly, was the impact it was having on my thinking, my thoughts. I found myself becoming more cynical, found myself getting more frustrated, found myself maybe becoming embittered and angry. Last week, Matt Sawada gave these five, like, ouch wow questions right is my love increasing and what I found at that point was that these were not increasing my love right they were not developing the right things they were taking me the other way so think about the what you're taking in and maybe just a simple question that I would present for us in in pondering that do you do the folks that I allow to take up residence in my thinking, right, are they leading me closer to an understanding of the Bible as the all-sufficient source of truth, or are they leading me further from it, right? Is it instead that that voice whispering in my ear, the, guard, uh, the, the accuser in the garden, did God really say, right, if that's the message? Now, Jesus, when he was tempted and when he was tested, How did he respond? What was his response? I hear the smattering of it, right? He quoted the Scriptures, right? When he was tempted by that same accuser from the garden, quoted the Scriptures. Three responses from Deuteronomy. Three responses from Deuteronomy. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus quotes the Scriptures almost 100 times. Now, I like Deuteronomy, so 40% of those quotes are from Deuteronomy. So, almost 100 times he quotes the Scriptures. This is the foundation of his understanding, right? This is where he goes to understand what is true, how do I process what I'm hearing and the events, and I'm going to go to the Scriptures, and that's how I'm going to understand it. And so, we also, as his followers, need to do likewise, So today, the the phrase I think that is used most commonly I hear today is worldview. Everybody has a worldview. And so do we have a biblical worldview, right? Do we process, do we filter the events of the day and the messaging that we hear and so forth through the lens of the scriptures? Uh, Is that how we process what happens? I think that's what we need to be doing, what we're called to. I think we need to be people who in the words of the scriptures tremble at the word of God. Uh, that phrase is from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2, where God, speaking through the prophet Isaiah, says this. These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And in another passage, and this is a passage from Ezra, and, and really this, has been, this passage has been rolling around in my brain probably for a year, Um, Ezra 9 verse 4 same phrase used here then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles do I tremble at the word of God when I hear something happening or a message that somebody brings or events around me or in my own life is my response to tremble at the word of God is my response as it says right to be humbled whether by my own sin or by the Sin of those around me? Am I crushed, contrite in spirit? Do I tremble at the word of God? I think that's the calling. That's what God is looking for in our lives. That's what it requires to get to the place where we will live truth. So, how do we make the scriptures the sure foundation of our lives when we live in a time where it really seems like what's true one day, the very next day might be cast aside as untrue? How do we make the scriptures the sure foundation? Of our lives. Well, I think we must start by first knowing the truth. And how will we know the truth other than we will take it in, right? We will study, read the Bible, take time, make the effort to spend time and study, fan into flame this desire for the scriptures to sink deep into our heart, deep into our bones, making it a part of who we are. Now, I know. I know a number of you know my testimony, but not all all of you. I didn't. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. wasn't raised in a church-going family. Uh, Came to Christ when I was 24 through the testimony of a college friend. And so I came to Christ, and I can remember, right? Okay. So yes, I will submit myself to Him. I will submit myself to His Word, the Bible. But I know almost nothing about the Bible, right? At 24 years old, I know almost nothing about this. And I can remember, like, first of all, how am I ever going to read all that? (laughs) Much less understand what it says and remember what's in it, right? How is that going to happen? God's faithful, right? God's faithful. So now it's, I was 24 then. Now this is 24 years later. If you're good at math, you might figure out how I am. So... (laughs) 24 years have passed, right? And God's been faithful. And so I'm going to just share. Now, I've had a couple opportunities here at LAC to talk about studying the Bible and kind of longer settings. And you there's so much, so many things to talk about. uh, Just the thrill of it, if you will. But I'm going to just say, I'm going to just share five things this morning. Five things from my own experience that I'll share with you. Now, my wife pointed out to me between services, by the way, that um, I think he said there was five things, but you only shared two. Completely missed three of them, so don't let me miss them. All right. So first thing, and the most important thing is this. Ask God for understanding. Ask Him to give you understanding. When you open the text and you want to have that moment, right, of the wow moment, ask Him to illumine. I can remember this. Again, young believer, mid-20s, and praying, God, give me understanding, right? Give me understanding of the text, And he delights to do so. Here's a couple references up on the screen, right? What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. He reveals by his Spirit. He does illumine. And in a second one from that same Passover meal, uh, the Last Supper, Jesus speaking, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He responds, he delights in responding to that. What father, if their son asked them to explain, right, to give understanding, would say no to that, right? So he delights in giving understanding. Second thing, from my experience, is listen to the teacher's that God has provided, okay? Listen to the teachers God has provided. This was a, now, the first thing he does, right, as we talked about, you know, giving insight. I can, just a quick aside. I can remember when I was not a Christian and I opened the Bible and I would read it and nothing, right? Just, I don't know, okay, I read it. And then I became a Christian, right? I gave myself to Christ and I opened it up and it's like, now something has happened here right, somebody stuck something in here, right, because now this is something, it's clicking, and guess what, that never ends, right, that never ends, you open it again here 24 years later, it's like, when did they put that in there, (laughs) right, when did they, so yes, God will bring illumination, and may you have many of those opportunities where you open it, it's like, wow, but he also responds to that request by providing teachers, right, providing. I've had this great experience in my life from that first guy who was a faithful witness to me when I was in college and all the way up through that at key junctions in my walk as a believer, God provided that teacher to instruct me, lead me along, help, help me along. So at LEFC, right, we hold the Bible. I hope we do. We hold the Bible in high esteem and may it always be so until the day Christ returns. May we hold it in high regard, right? So we provide opportunities for us together collectively to study. So, of course, the preaching on a Sunday morning, adult, life, uh, sorry, adult Bible fellowships, so that's ABFs that are going on even right now, women's Bible fellowship that happens during the week, life groups where you can spend time together and study. If you're junior high, senior high age, crossover student ministry, same opportunity, Sunday school, uh, a midweek, and then life groups as well. And then lastly, spiritual mentors, right? Who are those spiritual mentors that God's provided to you? It's, it's not bad to perhaps ask somebody, right? Somebody that you've witnessed and you've seen, and you want to ask them, I, I, I'd like you to help me to understand the scriptures, right? That's a good thing. Now, here's the three, three other things that I forgot in the first service, so they won't have heard these things. All right, so just three other items from a, from a list of possibilities. Have your Bible with you. Now, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm putting this together. It's like, well, nowadays everybody has their Bible with them because they have a phone, right? This was first prepared in a day where you didn't have, didn't have the phone app there. But so you got it. But I was really thinking that physical, right? That this this book that I would have it with me. So when I get up in the morning and I go along my way and I walk along the road and I'm at work and I have lunch and I come, and it's in my car, or whatever. That I'd have it with me, and that was such a big part of my life early on. Um, that it was with me when I had an opportunity I would read it. And I would say too, and I still have this experience, having it with me, especially in the workplace, just having it there leads to conversations that I'm convinced would not have happened if I didn't have it with me. Next, persevere in your study. Now, I could tell you that every time you open a text, the angels will descend from heaven and, Wah! Right? that's not, that's not going to be the case. There will be times like that where it is a wow moment. When did they put that in there? And oh, my goodness. But it's not always like that. So persevere. Press on. Don't give up. Keep going, right, in your study. Get back to that point where the wondrous things are there when you open the text. And then lastly, teach it to someone else. From my experience, there is like like this, right? It's like, I better know what I'm talking about. Right? Teach it to someone else. When God affords you the opportunity, you have been given that opportunity. That is a powerful time to learn and study. And I'm convinced it's because it's then when we're particularly desperate that he might give us understanding. Because we are going to express it. So those are some thoughts. Well, we can't call ourselves disciples of Jesus and not not submit to his word. Right? That That just doesn't go together. But we also can't really call ourselves disciples if we're not willing to give time and energy and focus to our study. Jesus himself says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. I don't know how I would be able to do that if I don't know what the commands are. If, they never were, if I never put them in, right? If I never put them in, how will I know that? How will I, know, how will I be able to express my love to him without knowing those things? But knowing the word of truth is not enough. Right? We must live truth. So on the sign up here on the wall with those four marks, right? That third one that we're talking about, it doesn't say no truth. It intentionally, purposefully says live truth. Right? We can't just know it. It needs to be, it needs to come out of us. We need to live it. Jumping back to Second Peter chapter one, couple verses there, starting in verse three. Second Peter one, verse three. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then jumping down to verse 8. For if you possess these qualities that are listed above in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given us everything we need, right? He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He has provided for us what we need to wow, right? For godly living, to participate in the divine nature. What a phrase, right? And from verse 8, right, to be effective and productive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. James says it well, James chapter 1. He writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, They will be blessed in what they do. The Word of God is powerful. It's not like other books, right? That moment that I had where like something happened here, right? It has power. It's transformative in our lives. Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews 4.12, it says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When we put in the word, right, when we make that effort and we put it in us, God will then bring it back out of us in those moments in life, right? And I know you've had to experience, there it is. This word that I've ingested now comes at that moment that I need it. So quick story, quick aside. It's a nice second service, because I can take a little bit more time, right? Okay, so I'm preparing for this sermon. I'm in my car, and I'm, in the, I'm at Clipper Stadium, and I'm, I'm preparing for this. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm reading, the window's open in the car, and uh, I, I hear to my left, these young ladies are walking through the parking lot, and one young lady says, oh no, my tire has gone flat again. And... There's this verse, Deuteronomy 22.4. If you see your fellow Israelites, ox or donkey, fallen on the road, <laughs> do not ignore it. <laughs> help him get it to its feet. <laughs> Corey, how can you sit here preparing a sermon, live truth, and not help these ladies? you got to get out of the car. you got to go do that. So I get out of the car, and I go, and Matt said it well last week, right? When we love people, right? When we give ourselves to people, we get dirty. Our hands were... My hands were literally dirty at that point in time, right? So changed the tire, and it was a, you know, a blessed moment. Turns out that these three ladies were from Lancaster Bible College, so God in that as well. Well, God will bring these things to mind, the practical, everyday living and that truth that we've been in put into us coming out so that we'll transact our business ethically, right, honestly, with integrity. We'll look out for our neighbor's property. We're not going to take our neighbor's stuff, right? We're going to watch out for their stuff. But for the heavier, weightier matters of life as well. A child who's gone astray, and perhaps God draws to mind the story of the prodigal, right, to teach us to be faithful, right, be steadfast. And... Be prepared to respond in grace, right, when that return happens. Or maybe it's a marriage that's struggling, even failing, and God brings those words to mind, right? Will we heed those words that come to mind? Perhaps the account of Hosea and Gomer, right? A sacrificial response, right, to the word in those most difficult times of life. When we understand that the Bible is the source of truth, and we submit our lives to it, we will give ourselves to its study. And we do well to do so, to give ourselves to its study, because the Word of God is eternal. It will never cease. It will never end. It is eternal. Turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3, and a few verses there where Peter sets our eyes on such eternal things. So 2 Peter 3, verse 3, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming He promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget That long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. And then jumping down to verse 12, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear like a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. The company that I work for will come to an end. The house that I live in is going to come to an end. My cars are going to be gone. This building that we're in right now, it'll go away. But the word of God is eternal. A few verses along those lines. All your words are true. All your righteous laws are eternal. Psalm 119, verse 160. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8, and in two statements from Jesus, it is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The word's eternal. Followers of Jesus love God, so we read, we study, and we internalize his word. And because we love God and because we internalize his word, We love our neighbor. We love people. Our master Jesus lived truth. He proclaimed truth. He is the truth. Let's be like our master. Let's pray. Father, we do praise you and we honor you. We lift up your name. Thank you that you down through the ages have sustained your word, that we have it. 4,000 years after Abraham, 2,000 years after the Gospels, after Jesus' crucifixion and crucifixion, resurrection, we have it. Thank you for sustaining it. May it sink deep into our lives, deep into our heart and bones, become a part of us, and may it transform. May it change our lives. May it change the lives of our family members, our children. May it change the lives of those in our oikos, May your word do its powerful work of transforming lives. Even this day, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Words that resound with God's own heart, that is well said. For the benediction, for the blessing today, I want to read over us the opening of Psalm 1. And then I ask you to receive this blessing from the Lord today. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Be blessed this week. May the word of God sink deep into your... Heart into your lives, you're dismissed.